Hello, sister. Hello, sister. Welcome to Of Late I Think of Rosewood. My name is Haley. And I'm Morgan. So today's episode is all about Emily Fields. You may have heard she killed a guy. Uh, this episode, we're going to be diving deep into her character, her relationships, and everything Emily. Before we begin this episode, we wanted to give a bit of a content warning. We will be discussing the stolen egg plotline and the circumstances surrounding all of that, which of course might be triggering for some people. We've put timestamps in the description to help you skip past the two portions of the episode where we discuss that, if you would like. Let's kick it off with her family, close relationships, and yeah. what is her her role in the Liar Group? I think that Emily's role in the Liar Group is, obviously, I think she's the most sort of sensitive, kind of caring one, generally. So I think uh, in terms of, like, the mystery, like, her utilization, like, practically when they need the sort of softer touch to getting mm-hmm. people to tell them things, to do things, usually Emily's going to be the one that you send in for that. When you want yeah. somebody sort of twist information out of someone, you send Spencer. But when you want somebody, you know, get someone on your on your side, you send Emily. Yeah, definitely. And I do think, like you said, she is the softer, more sensitive one. And I think she... So you mentioned that she is the more like kind of softer caring one and i think that that's really true and i think she oftentimes kind of helps to make the other girls a little softer as well and a little bit more aware of the people i don't know if anything i'm saying makes sense yeah i definitely think that she does serve to bring a little bit of a softness to the group where the others can be you know aggressive or yeah, I think in Hannah and Spencer's case is aggressive. In Aria's case, I don't know, weird. <laughs> it's a little, <laughs> it's a little unsettling. Um, and so I think that she, yeah, I think she serves that purpose. I think in terms of how, like, when she personally chooses to be more invested in sort of the mystery solving aspects of the plot, I, I think it's. I think it's kind of twofold. There's moments when she, I think, has is feels as though she's being targeted. I think that that, like that, you know, there's the whole thing with her being the weakest one, right? Mm-hmm. And her that sort of, I think, motivating her to be stronger, to throw herself into like kind of getting figuring out who A is, right? Mm-hmm. And but then I also think that Emily in sort of maybe a bit of a passive way, Emily tends to be the one who is sort of the default to accompany others on their expeditions, especially Spencer, of course, who's always doing expeditions. I don't know, though. Like, I don't know if Emily is as frequently Spencer's partner as Arya is. I I think, like, I think Emily's more the default. Yeah. Right? Like, if Arya... If Arya is not in a zone where, like, she can be focused on the mystery, if Arya's got shit going on with Ezra or whatever, like, Emily's kind of that default person. Arya's only going to be the one to accompany Spencer, I think, when it suits Arya. Emily is more like, 
you know, she's you reliable. To come yeah, she's reliable. She's a reliable partner. She's very loyal. Um, yeah. And I think that that is actually really interesting when you consider all of the other girls have in one way or another, I think, betrayed the group. And, you know, they're able to forgive them. But I really don't think that Emily ever has. No. The only time, like, the, the only time when we think she has is actually all just a ploy. Exactly. To get, to get A to yeah. show up to a greenhouse. Unclear what the full plan was there. Uh, so you mentioned Emily kind of being viewed as the weakest link. And I think that that's, I think that her character growth is potentially, like, I, I don't want to say the most interesting, but I think it's the most stark because... I think early on in the show, in like season one, I think she is, I mean, the weakest link feels kind of unnecessarily cruel, but mm -hmm. I think she is the weaker link, <laughs> for lack yeah. of better I mean, she's, saying it. She's, she's definitely the most emotional, I think. She's emotional. She is still very much like grieving Allie. And yeah. she is, I think, the least secure in what she is who she is and obviously she's going through her whole identity and sexuality you know coming out and all of that like that's part of it for sure but um I think she is the weakest link and then she grows into I think being potentially the strong one of the strongest like I think next to Spencer maybe she, See, I think, yeah, she, I think she, you know, really comes into her own, into her own when it comes to like investigating and getting things done. And she is, I think, has a level of thinking and that I think is on par or close to not I don't want to say on par because I think Spencer's thinking is just like literally out of this world. But I think she's close. Like, I think she is. Absolutely. Able to approach by the end of the show and like the later seasons, I think she's able to approach these clues and these mysteries and these everything that's happening, I think, in a really kind of logical and like smart way that I don't think that Hannah and Arya really kind of have that same growth of, of their characters, of their way of like solving things. Yeah, I think Emily starts out kind of being the most unsure of herself. And I think that's what makes her sort of the weakest link. Like she doesn't really know who she is. And obviously that a lot of that is tied to like her sexuality, but I think it's also tied to the way that Allison treated her and the sort of back and forth. Talking about her relationship with Allison, I, I think Allison might've been is the only like in universe as like a real person in the universe is the only real person that was actually queer baiting. Usually that's for fiction, like, you know, writers queer bait with their fictional characters. But I think Alice and the character in universe was queer baiting Emily, <laughs> like constantly yo-yoing back and forth with her uh, as sort of a power play. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that really kind of led to a lot of, Emily's insecurity in the beginning of the show and her a lot of her struggle with her sexuality is that was like Allison used that against her like Allison bullied her with it used it to manipulate her 
made her feel ashamed of it. Absolutely. In a way that like, I, I, I mean, obviously like her family is, is more conservative and, you know, I think that that also led into it, but Allison, I think pulled on those threads and made her feel even more ashamed. Yeah. And like weirdly or not weirdly, I guess like, but embarrassed, like she used it the way that she used it against Emily, right. Where she used it as a way to constantly reject her Mm -hmm. and then make her feel like, you know, she was interested in her so she could reject her again like creates this sort of like embarrassment, kind of tying the embarrassment of being rejected in that way of thinking someone likes you and being rejected and tying that to her sexuality. And I just, yeah, I can't imagine how much that, the way that Allison treated her embedded itself into like Emily's conceptualization of her sexuality early on and how much more difficult that made it for her to come out to her like conservative parents. And also with our our theory that we've we've talked about in Ari and Hannah's episodes, how she who she latches onto, which you know of course Emily latches onto Paige, who was also horribly bullied by Allison for her sexuality. One of the worst things I think Allison ever did was when she wrote that love letter supposedly from Emily to Paige to get Paige to write it back and then blackmails her with it i mean allison did blind jenna i I look i didn't say the worst thing she's ever done it's just one of the worst things and also teach hannah how to have an eating disorder yeah yeah i would say i would say that's pretty much i would say that's up there that was pretty on par with the eating disorder i think i agree i agree Uh, Um, if we're gonna rank trauma caused by allison (laughs) we're gonna play the trauma olympics (laughs) yeah so speaking of Paige. Maybe now we can talk about some of Emily's romantic relationships. I guess looking at our list that we have here, this feels longer than our other lists. Does it feel longer to you? (laughs) Yeah, she she definitely has the most, I think, sort of casual dating relationships. And I mean, part of that is obviously because who who wouldn't be interested in Emily? Very true, very true. Everyone, everyone wants Emily, and when you have that many options, uh, you're gonna you're gonna get through yeah. at least at least a good handful of them. So, so hey. let's first talk about her Ben, her one boyfriend. Yes, is there much to say there? Ben sucks. Uh, ben sucks. Apparently, she dated him for a long time though, because in one of the flashbacks, I think she dated him for at least a year and a half. Maybe yeah. or no, no, because it it was in a flashback with Alice, and Allison goes missing. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, yeah, at least like a year two and a half years, probably like two probably years. two years, probably two years, which is crazy. But uh, also, I think sucks. that that's. I I also think that that's like not abnormal for like queer women and girls to like find a boyfriend that like can kind of help shield them. Yeah, and it also makes a lot of sense. I think like the fact that uh, he was like on the swim team. Yeah, because that Convenient. seems like such a. There, it's convenient. It's like, oh, he likes things that I like. So it's kind of easy to like mm-hmm. have things to talk to him about. Like they can talk about swimming, which is also just kind of children getting into relationships in general, right? Is it's like, do you yeah. like the movie that I like? Do you like the book I like? You know, do you have mm-hmm. this hobby that I have? And, but also makes a lot of sense 
because she wasn't actually attracted to him. So it makes sense that she would pick somebody that's like, yeah, like we have common interests. We, mm-hmm. we you know, and she's around him a lot because they're on the swim team. So I think that's enough on Ben. That's, yeah. More that's than enough. Ben. More than enough. So then maybe let's say like the big three for the, for the last part yeah. of this. And we can talk briefly about kind of these other three. We have Samara. Mary, we have married lady, but I believe her name is Talia. Yes, Talia. And Thank you. when I was writing the notes, I couldn't remember her name, and then I asked you, and then I forgot to put the answer into the <laughs> put that into the doc. And then Sabrina. So yeah. Samara is who Emily is dating between after Maya is at True North. Paige and her have kind of like Paige doesn't want to come out, so like Emmy's Emily's like I don't want to go back into the closet, so like let's just be friends. And that's when she starts dating Samara and then A basically like blackmails Emily into texting Samara's friend and like basically breaks them up. Like that's the whole story. Samara was definitely the best girlfriend, I think, but also maybe just wasn't around long enough to end up sucking a bit, you know, to like do anything wrong. She just like wasn't around long enough to do much wrong, but she was good. And it's interesting that that just like, ends completely like we never hear from her again i mean clearly i think we lost the actress maybe to the vampire diaries i don't know what the overlap was there but i didn't know she was in that yeah she plays one of the original vampires on the vampire diaries so yeah and then oh also missing from that i forgot to put shower harvey uh sarah sorry sarah harvey uh for anyone listening shower harvey is i don't know if the bros watch pll2 podcast came up with that nickname or if it, because I know that it was a thing sort of with the fandom at the time that was just like Sarah Harvey took a lot of showers. So we called and, her shower and she dies yeah. in a shower. So it works. Yeah. Which I think was definitely the writers 100%. giving a nod to the. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but so yeah. Is this, sorry, is this maybe the best opportunity for me to give my theory about her showers? I mean, you might as well. I'm sure there's other yeah. opportunities, but make it quick. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which also my my theory on shower harvey's showers is that she was taking a lot of showers because in the bathroom with the water running is when she could safely make phone calls to charlotte because she didn't want to be overheard and so i think she actually wasn't taking showers it this this was part of her sort of double cross anyways do we have anything to say about shower harvey's relationship with uh, I mean, well, we we were going to talk about her, I think, a little later when it comes to talking about Emily's savior complex. Yeah. But that's yeah. really all that is. Emily yeah. latches onto her because she wants to save her, help her, and be a hero. And shower. Yeah, exactly. I No hate to this actress or anything. One of my least favorite characters. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so the fact that she dies in a shower kind of makes it worth it. it. I will say, I do agree with that, yeah. That does kind of... And the fact that she gets to be Noel Khan's first confirmed kill. True, very Only true. confirmed kill? Did Noel Khan only... Did Emily kill more people than Noel Khan? That's crazy. Uh, so... <laughs> so in the grand tradition of Pretty Little Liars, there's got to be at least one inappropriate age relationship. And that is... Emily's relationship with Talia, a married woman who is the baker chef at Ezra's bookstore slash cafe. 
that relationship actually infuriates me because yeah this woman is awful oh yeah she's like this she's like early 20s right but she's bored in her marriage realizing that she is maybe gay maybe bisexual and got married before she was ever able to like explore that and decides to explore her sexuality in this complicated situation she's in with a teenager yep a teenager she works with who's in high school yeah a teenager who i think maybe is her like subordinate i don't know how i don't I can't, yeah. I, I can't imagine that Ezra has, like, a very strict or defined but, hierarchy at his yeah. his bookstore cafe. But, but considering she's an adult employee and this is a child employee, yeah. Like, yeah. she probably does, whether formally or informally, outrank her. Yeah. And yeah. also, it's like... appropriate in so many ways. It's, it's, it's so... It's so ridiculous. And, like, her husband, who's, like clearly doesn't think that this is a real thing like so like who thinks that she's just exploring and then is going to come back to him he like clearly she didn't communicate with him well and it's just a whole the whole relationship is just so infuriating to me um yeah do we how do they break up oh do they just yeah. break up do they just break up because emily is like i don't want to be your like experiment or something like we don't it kind of like yeah, Emily meets the husband mm-hmm. and finds out that his understanding of what's going on is very different from what Talia told her. And I know she talks to Ashley at some point about like, is it okay to like be in a relationship when you know that it's not going to work out? And Ashley kind of you know gives her some advice about that, but like, oh, you know, you should never go into a relationship. Like, you know, sometimes people get hurt, but you should never go into a relationship with that intention or something. And I think that. Which- that- it's not really what Emily was asking, but no, not at all. Uh, but yeah, but then Emily, I think, breaks it off with Talia. Yeah. Uh, okay. But then also Talia spends the night at like, her house. Yeah, because she's like gonna Living go stay in, in a motel. Car. Yeah, or something. And Emily's like, I'm sure my mom would be fine with you, my adult ex, staying in our house. <laughs> And I can't imagine Pam apparently let that happen, I guess, because we don't hear anything more about that. I think Pam was out of town. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Like her Pam was, I don't know, visiting Wayne at Army. So then we last we have Sabrina. Yep. Who is her like kind of fling in the five years forward that I think just kind of fades away when like pa- when like Paige comes back and I think Emily just gets caught up in the whole Paige and Allison of it all. Yeah. Well, and also Emily is, you know, can't, doesn't want to tell Sabrina about what's going on, but she can tell Paige a bit because Paige already knows about Aeon's like, and was there. And so she won't have to explain it as much, which I think is again, this, like we see that with like Hannah a bit too. And Aria. And Aria. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh, I just, you know, it's, it's almost like they end up with these like high school relationships because they're like, it'd just be really hard to explain this to a new person. This seems easier. <laughs> yeah. And it, and that's like part of it. I think that like makes it so sad that like, listen, we're, we're okay with how everyone, who everyone ended up with, but it makes it sad that like Hannah had this great relationship with Jordan. Emily had this like 
seemingly like budding relationship with Sabrina that seemed pretty good and you know interesting mm-hmm. and then they just kind of because of the A of it all and falling back into their like high school habits they kind of just went back to who they were in high school in a lot of ways yeah. but I will say Sabrina was really anti-lying so that's I don't think true. that was ever gonna work out that's a very good point that she relationship was weirdly was anti-lying it's very like, strange yeah like she was re- like she was, that was like her she main was... character trait she did not like lying <laughs> she was which so I mean, like... concerned that like they stole that aria and emily kind of like manipulated her to like take the key to ezra's apartment and like i can understand being like annoyed and bothered that they were manipulating you but like she was really i think more upset that they like stole the key for his apartment and i was like sabrina ezra sucks why do you care like he's a terrible boss well, I think care? Sabrina Sabrina reacts to that, I think, in the way that you would expect a person in the real world to react almost. True. But like, <laughs> does she not know what town she's living in? This is Rosewood, babe. Like, yeah. breaking so, and entering is like a class taught at the middle school. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so should we move on to the big three? Alice yeah. and Maya and Paige. Who do we want to talk about first? Uh... Let's talk, let's talk Maya, because I think, again, we're, we, Maya is, I think, we'll, we'll talk about Maya a little bit more again when we talk about Emily's savior complex, I think. Uh, Emily's savior complex and her romantic relationships are inextricably linked. Yes. But <laughs> Maya, I think Emily did not have the savior complex that she had, that, mm-hmm. that we know her for at the beginning of the show not Mm -hmm. that there weren't any of those traits but like maya's death and her not being able to save maya is absolutely what creates this savior complex especially this like need to save people she has a romantic interest in well who a is targeting and who she has a romantic interest in i think yeah well and, Um, and listen i i like maya i do but mm-hmm. I also fully understand. I mean, I think some of Pam's dislike of Maya is rooted in homophobia. So I don't understand that. But I, th- when Maya comes back from True North and like her and Emily kind of like start dating again and Emily invites her over for dinner. And I think Maya is kind of being a little brat to Pam, who Pam, I think at this point is trying and is trying to get on board with it and like, trying to be kind to Maya and Maya I think is a little unnecessarily rude antagonistic antagonistic that's the perfect word and yeah and it's here's the thing right like obviously at this time Pam is really homophobic right and Maya knows that and can sense that and sure you can be as antagonistic as you want towards homophobic people right however this is also the mother of the girl that you are like in love with right you, yeah. like that to me it's it's not so much about her being disrespectful or rude to pam right it's that her not her right. not being able to put aside her sort of combative nature is an insult to emily mm-hmm. and i will and say that pam is really I do yeah i do think that pam is trying at this point like she's still unlearning homophobia and like 
yeah. And, and I think it's yeah. understandable to be, you know, antagonistic towards that. But well, I think again, she's, Pam is trying to unlearn her homophobia for her daughter, for Emily. And I think that like Emily is, you know, sees that and is trying to like help with that. And I just don't feel like Maya was also trying to like, yeah, be Maya was trying to get a rise out of her. Yeah. And I, and well, I, I, yeah. I think that it was, you know, she was more antagonistic. Like I, I actually, it's, it's less the, early stuff that where her antagonism bothered me and it's more when she comes back yeah and pam has changed a lot and emily has a really good relationship with her mother now and has explained that to maya and maya can't let it go even though pam didn't ever do anything to maya right like she wasn't she was a little passive aggressive a little rude like but she wasn't actively horrible to her right well she did get her sent to true north Yes, that's true. But like, again, her parents sent her to True North, right? True. Like, Pam was going through her bag, which is not cool and not okay. Yeah. But as an adult, if you if you find out that this teenager is smoking pot, I think that it's reasonable to let their parents know, unless you think that their parents are, you yeah. know, and uh, abusive say- or a problem or something, you know, but yeah. And I will say, in Maya's defense, like, this is a young girl who has just come back from maybe conversion camp. And yeah. so she's, you know, been traumatized. And so, I, and the and Pam is the person who, you know, in her mind is the one responsible for that. So it's like, it's understandable, right? Like, the I antagonism think valid. Yeah. is valid. And it's, it's something that I can understand. But it also but her- is not good, like... But her inability to put it aside for the sake of Emily, this girl that she loves, is a character flaw. Mm -hmm. Totally. Moving on from Maya, I think. Let's talk, let's talk Paige. Let's save Allison, I think, for last. Paige, I think, I think Paige is overall, like, pretty good. I agree. And I think it's an unpopular opinion. Yeah. I think the unpopular, people hate Paige. And listen, there's so many moments where I'm like, this, this girl. But as far as girlfriends go, as far as partners go to Emily, I think Paige is the most understanding, the most helpful and comforting. And like, I think that she is the best girlfriend that Emily had. Yeah. A little obsessive, a little, yeah. Well, and also, you know, and um, other than Samara, again, who maybe just didn't have enough time to do anything bad, but and, you know, I think we can't look past the the fact that some of our sort of feelings of dislike toward Paige have to be chalked up to the hairstylists. Yeah. It's, on Pretty Little Eyes. That's on them. Yeah. They really did her dirty with those hairstyles. did her so dirty. I saw Lindsay Shaw talk. I think we both saw Lindsay Shaw talking about, you know, when she first started on the show and the she was like kind of all for like, yeah, do whatever you want with my hair. <laughs> that they gave her that horrible bob with the bangs and she was yeah. like i've learned my life but yeah god the hair was terrible her and hair is so also from almost all of the show yeah and i think one thing that's interesting about to like kind of go off on like the hair and like her clothes i think it's interesting she has like a really interesting like discovery period i feel like 
she has like you know a butch phase where she's like wearing like muscle tees and like a lot of flannels and she has but then she kind of like has a more just kind of normal looking clothes phase she has a more feminine phase and I think it's like kind of interesting and like a interesting comment on like kind of who her character of like trying to discover who she is and like I think that that's really relatable especially for like a queer girl in high school like coming from a conservative background like figuring out who she is and I think they really did do that pretty well with her fashion it just so happens that her hair was atrocious and also some of her fashion should we move on to Allison yeah so I think this is maybe another unpopular opinion Oh, it is. It is a very unpopular opinion. This is a controversial hot take for sure. Emily ending up with Allison is one of the saddest things that happens in this show. Yeah. This is a girl who literally made Emily feel awful about herself, her sexuality, everything. Bullied her for years about this. And listen, I guess we're supposed to say that, like, Allison changed and blah, blah, blah. But that is still, like, the source of a trauma for Emily. And the fact that she ends up with her, and I guess, and uh, I guess we should talk about the eggs eventually. But, like, how they end up together with this traumatic, like, experience of Emily's eggs being stolen and, you know, implanted in Allison, like... There's least just, favorite plot line it's the worst plot line and the fact that they end up together after that happens and they like have these kids is so sad to me mm-hmm. and honestly i i didn't watch all of the perfectionists i think i watched like the first episode or two it sounds like maybe they don't end up together. like they got they separated or something and honestly thank god because yeah. it's just the thing is, is there's just no Like, look, you can forgive someone for treating you horribly if they've changed and they've tried to make amends and, like, you can be friends with them. I don't think that you should be in a romantic relationship with them. I don't think that they should be, like, your life partner because, like, the way that Allison treated Emily is a trauma that never, like, that is always going to be part of I, I kind of, I, I don't know. I feel like the phrase love map is, is a bit cringe, but is always going to be part of Emily's love map, right? Like that is, that, always, but yeah, I hate it. I hate it too. Uh, but that is always going to be something that affects how Emily views her sexuality and how she views her relationships and, and behaves in her relationships and how she shows up as a partner, because that happened at a very formative age and it was very traumatic for Mm -hmm. sure and 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 then they also had this this thing that brought them back together in the five years forward so traumatic but we also have to remember these people are still these women are still young at this point they're like 23 and they are thrust into this situation where their tormentor a has taken away their bodily autonomy and has given them these twins these babies with a father they don't know they don't know who the father is we do it's ren and that is why that like kind of brings them back together is this pregnancy that is 
the result of a rape. And I think it does kind of make sense that hopefully as Emily got older, she kind of recognized what brought them back together wasn't the right thing. And Allison is that person who is always going to be, even if whoever she is, you know, now she, she was also that person who made her feel so horrible growing up. And I like to think that Emily kind of came to this realization probably through a lot of therapy and was like, we can, you know, these are our children and we can like raise them together and whatnot, but like, we can't be together romantically. And like that, that's what I like to think happened. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, again, you can, you can forgive people. They can make amends. People, people can change, but the problem is, is that is still the person that did those things to you. And it's, just not healthy for her to be in a romantic relationship with her. Yeah. So yeah, unpopular opinion. Very sorry to all the Emerson shippers. I'm uh, not sorry. I'm not all I'm not either because I think that the the vehemence with which Emerson shippers shipped Emerson mm-hmm. is why we got this like awful rape baby egg mm-hmm. plot line that is yeah. so upsetting. Well, and because also, I think I, we're supposed to like it. And that's I think crazy. some people did. And that's well, insane to me. And I think it's actually like, and I understand, right? Like, I understand how we, at, especially like at that time, there weren't a lot of like lesbian relationships on TV, definitely not on like teen shows that were, you know, good. And so I understand kind of the like legion of fans kind of latching on to this relationship and like putting it up on a pedestal but i think now hopefully i want all of those people who were shipping emerson as teenagers i hope they are now all adults and they can kind of look back on that and be like okay like i understand why we were we were fans of this relationship but when we look at it with our adult brains i think we can all look back on it and say that wasn't the best relationship and we shouldn't have been that we, I think the LGBTQ community, lesbians, queer women, they deserve better relationships. Yeah. And so speaking of like queer representation, uh, I want to talk about Emily's coming out and her parents. Mm -hmm. So I actually think that, Emily's coming out is something that we certainly at the time obviously was not super com- like like super common to see. Like there were gay characters on TV, they were usually side characters or like you know like the but having this like very it was you know her her coming out was emotional and also like I think something honestly I w- I think we could see more in TV now. I think a lot of like stories that involve coming out now are very black or white right it's like either the parents are like super supportive and it's like oh we always knew we're like oh we love you no matter what which is great right and ideally that should be how it goes or they're like horribly homophobic and you know they get kicked out of the house right like there's not Mm -hmm. a lot of like in between where you see the parents initially kind of reject their child when they come out and then grow and 
mm-hmm. unlearn their homophobia. And like, I think that that's a really important narrative to have represented because Agreed. they, that you can unlearn your homophobia. And I think that, you know, it's good to like give young people hope that even if their parents are homophobic, like that doesn't mean that they're never going to be able to have mm-hmm. a good relationship with their parents. Yeah, there's a nuance in her coming out story and there's a, a character development for Pam and Wayne Fields that I think, like you were saying, is not often represented on in media and definitely not at this time. Um, yeah. And I and think, I think we see that's a lot, great. I think we see a lot in the fandom of people really, really hate Pam solely yeah. I think because of like her season one behavior mm-hmm. but Pam grows a lot and I think actually you know becomes one of the best parents like I mean she does leave for Texas and leaves her daughter in Rosewood but I mean Emily really fought for that but <laughs> but she does she becomes so comfortable with her daughter's sexuality and mm-hmm. so supportive of it in a way that even parents that are fairly supportive to begin with, I think sometimes don't even reach that level of like supportiveness that Pam does. Yeah. And I think that we, I think that we should appreciate, like we should acknowledge that growth mm-hmm. from her. Pam, I think really grows as a character, maybe has the most character growth <laughs> of anyone. I think but- so. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And then uh, Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> Wayne Fields. So he obviously reacts a little bit better to her coming out, I think. I don't have that much to say about his reaction to her coming I think, out. I, I think that his reaction to her coming out is, I think, indicative of a man who has not been involved in the parenting of their child. And that's not to, like, say that Wayne Fields is a terrible father or anything but he's just not been around as much and I think so he's able to kind of see Emily in a different light and I think it's very admirable I think the way he reacts is you know quite good considering and um yeah he's very much just like hey let's put this into perspective yeah she could be there could be a lot worse things which again is not is not an ideal reaction, right? To right. be like, well, it could be worse. It's like, well, no, it's not bad. Yes. It's not bad in any way. But yeah, he, but he I, puts it into perspective a bit, I think, for Pam. And I think to. he's and I think he's able to do that because he's not there. I think like if he because yeah. I, I think he holds the same beliefs as Pam initially, but he's able to kind of I think yeah. moderate his reaction in a way that Pam isn't because he is, you know, a fairly he's not as absent. close to he's, it. Yeah. He's a it, fairly... I mean his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which also I, if we're talking about Wayne Fields not being around, I want to talk for a second about the time that his daughter was discovered after having been charged with murder, arrested, then kidnapped and held in an underground bunker for three weeks mm-hmm. and army wouldn't let him come home. Listen, it's the the American military industrial complex is it has a hold. I they don't I get don't, they don't get family leave for th- those scenarios, Morgan. 
it it wasn't ex- that that specific scenario was not explicitly spelled out in the handbook of what when you can get yep. emergency family leave and so they're like i guess oh, it's, it's in there now. now it's in there yeah. now but at the time <laughs> yeah uh anyways uh but also with wayne fields one of emily's main character flaws her savior complex uh which we've already talked about a fair bit with her relationships i think Maya is definitely a big part of her savior complex, but I also think that her father being in the military and the way that she idolizes him, mm-hmm. especially I think because he's not there, like it's very easy to idolize someone that's not around when the, especially when you're like, well, they're not around for a noble reason, you know? And so I think that she very much wants to be like her dad, right? Like yeah. she thinks of him as a hero. And so she, is sort of modeling herself after him a bit. And then with Maya's death, that sort of really takes form, I think. So, yeah. And I think it's, so a little bit of a tangent here is there's one thing, or there's two things that this show is very pro. The show is a cab, but they're quite pro military. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is they're quite pro habitat for humanity. Yeah. And it's not, I don't know that, I don't... But also in a way where they don't really understand, I think, how Habitat for Humanity functions as an organization. Yeah, and I don't know that there's, I don't know that Habitat for Humanity is the worst thing in the world, but it's certainly no U.S. military, but... Habitat for Humanity, I think, I mean, I'm not completely familiar with the organization. As it functions in the U.S., I think is probably pretty good, right? Like, it's generally... Mm -hmm people in a community who have who have skills in construction generally <laughs> uh sort of you know coming together to build affordable housing yeah. right like i think that that is a super positive thing back to our savior complex speaking of habitat for humanity yes that's obviously part of it i think it's also like so I think it's, you know, having this father who she views as like a hero. And I think to some extent wanting to live up to that as well. And Maya's death, feeling like she failed to protect Maya. But I also think that she feels like she needs to morally compensate for her sexuality. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of, I mean, definitely earlier on in the show, there's a lot of internalized homophobia in her. And I think she does feel a lot of shame for it. And... Yeah, I think she is in some ways trying to make sure even if she's got this, even if she's gay and maybe God doesn't like that in her mind, um, look at all these other good things. Like in a yeah. in a good place scenario, she she's right. trying to rack up the good points for this, for, for her perceived negative points. Yeah. Which, well, and I think, yeah. And it's like, obviously, you know, I don't think like in later seasons, I don't think that Emily, not to say that, oh, she completely overcomes any, you know, trauma from her, her upbringing and Allison in terms of her sexuality. But I do think, right, like she becomes very comfortable with her sexuality. I don't think that she believes that it's wrong in any way. But I mm-hmm. do think that that was part of the formation of her savior complex and then once you develop that savior complex it doesn't just go away because she's come to terms with her sexuality and there's other things that play there it's not just her sexuality but i think feeling as though she 
like that, like that I think contributes to like her good girl behavior, right? Like wanting to be the sweet, good girl mm-hmm. is because especially like before she comes out and like right after she comes out, she, I think is always pro- like trying to compensate for the fact that like, you know, there's something wrong with her, right? Like that she yeah. is, you know, morally dubious in this way. And so she compensates for that by being such a good girl, which then evolves, I think, into a savior complex. And yeah, yeah, that savior complex, that's a bitch, man. It's it's strong. Yeah, I mean, she literally ends up marrying Allison, large part because she's carrying her stolen eggs. Yeah, I think Emily really never overcomes that savior complex. No, that is that is a character. It changes. It evolves. But yeah. Yeah, because I don't know that she ever fully, she doesn't consciously recognize it, I think. And so therefore she's never able to really work on it. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I could, I don't know that I would say that her savior complex improves much at all over the course of, you know, I think there are other aspects that where she becomes, you know, a better person, stronger person, not in terms of her savior complex, yeah. not really. Well, and, and I think we see that in shower, right? Like we see that in shower Harvey where, this is later on in the series. This is post bunker. And we still have Emily trying to save shower. And it, I think that's just like kind of shows like it's still with her even to the very end. And I also think like in terms of like her, her shame with her sexuality, I think is also linked with, we've talked about how like each of the girls has a moment when they realize that a is serious. And for me, I think that for Emily, that moment is, when the pictures of her and Maya kissing get put into her biology textbook, because like, Mm -hmm. I think that's when she really, or or maybe it's partially when like she finds out that a gave those pictures to her mom. Right. But like, that's when she realizes, I think that a, a is going to reveal this secret, right? Like, I think that's the moment when she realizes, Oh, I'm not going to be able to keep this a secret. A intends to reveal this. Do you have a different moment you think? No, I mean, I think that's it. It's if it's not the when she first when those pictures are stolen and put in her book, like it's getting outed. Like, and I think that those are the two points where she's like, "Oh shit, <laughs> yeah, this is real." Or, I mean, yeah. sorry, she probably would say, "Oh shoot," <laughs> yeah. And in terms of like a a's treatment of Emily, also her, I a targets Emily's body in a way that we don't see with the other girls, which gives Emily, I think, the most extensive medical history of all of the girls. So let's run through uh, some of Emily's A-induced medical history. Yeah. So there's the carbon monoxide poisoning with the dolls. When Emily's doll, like, is in her backseat, um, it's Tom Marin's wedding. They've all of the other girls have gotten their dolls, and Emily's doll is in her back seat and leads her to that barn, and that's when she's poisoned and passes out and sees yeah. Allison. Then there's the HGH in her uh, in her skin cream. I don't really know what that cream was supposed to do. Was it was it for like a? It was for that she thought she'd like pulled a muscle, and it turned out to be an ulcer. Yeah, exactly. Um, and obviously, like, was that ulcer induced by stress? Or by the HGH? Could that, I don't know. If I, that we're not doctors. Yeah. 
Oh, I think also uh, it's not on this list, but there's also a time where uh, A from time to time messes with their food. And there's also a point where she changes all, like she, Emily's eat, like going to eat, um, like basically oh, like- Lucky Charms without the marshmallows. And she's changed all the letters to A's. Yeah. Again, like a lot of stuff, I think, with Emily's food, Emily's, you know, Emily's skin cream. Yeah. And I think that that really goes back to how Emily as an athlete really values her health and her, you know, wellness and body. And like A uses that. A uses that against her in all of these different ways. Well, and then, of course, the shoulder injury. Yes. A caught, I don't, you know, who knows how targeted and intentional that was but like a does cause emily to injure her shoulder and essentially end her swimming career and what's fun Uh, about this is that it's also an example of her savior complex yeah yeah because she's trying to save (laughs) she's trying to save mona and aria um and it's also interesting i think it's i don't know if it's aria or i think it's aria who says like if if Emily hadn't stepped in, I would have been a pancake or something like that. And the fact of the matter is, is Emily didn't step in anywhere. Emily was standing there with you. So like Emily is the one that pulled Mona and Aria away from the the car, but Emily also would have been a pancake. Like, it's not like Emily was like off on the side and like runs in to save them. But like Aria perceives it as like, Emily saved us. And like, yeah, she did, but like, she was also being targeted. Does that yeah, make sense? This wasn't an Edward Cullen moment, <laughs> exactly. And then, so also the spiked flask, which I think is an issue again. Constantly, things that she's ingesting and you know putting on or in her body are being yeah. tampered with by A, which is like an interesting sort of psychological torture. I think from A, making Emily feel like you know she can't trust anything but also the spiking of the flask so that she then feels the the way she feels complicit then in Allison's body being taken which again for Emily who wants to be a good girl right like she really values i think her morality and doing the right thing that's a particular type of torture right to be like mm-hmm. she can't remember what she did and also she then puts all of her friends in jeopardy and makes them vulnerable, which again, for somebody like Emily, who's so loyal is really hard. Like that's maybe the closest that, right. That Emily gets to sort of betraying the group and it's because a drugged her. Yeah. And I think that that's really hard for Emily because Emily doesn't know for a long time that she was drugged. She thinks that she just got crazy drunk and, you know, made bad choices and, got them all in trouble and that's really hard for emily because she's so loyal um yeah she really struggles with like feeling so guilty about that whole night for a long time yeah she really struggles, and and almost she doesn't feel i I don't know that she ever feels like she's fully absolved of it until i think she learns that she was drugged and she feels like okay that wasn't my fault like it's i think she still feels some blame for it because if she hadn't been drinking as much or drinking at all, maybe it never would have happened. But I think hope yeah. I think she is able to somewhat forgive herself a little when she learns that she was actually drugged. So last and certainly not least, the our least favorite storyline. 
there's the stealing of her eggs, which again, we've talked about this is just one of the most atrocious storylines in this whole show. I hate this storyline so much. I hate it so much. It's so dark in a way that I feel obviously the show can get dark, right? Like this show gets dark at times in a way that I think is, you know, I really appreciate from like a teen drama, right? But But it's never this is sexual trauma. Yeah. This is too dark. Not to spoil our eventual episode, I think where we're going to probably talk about original sin. That was one of the fundamental issues with original sin is that it all hinged on sexual trauma, mm-hmm. which makes it not fun, mm-hmm. not not enjoyable, not the kind of dark that we want to watch in this kind of show. And obviously, this this plot line is does not match at all what original sin did with now the sexual trauma the entire plot hinged on that but it was like a weird out of left field like inclusion that i think we weren't supposed to really we they didn't want us i think to like think about the sexual trauma aspect of it they just mm-hmm. wanted a way to have emerson babies and and i just and i hate that so much i hate it I hate so that. much because i think it is a lazy way to get them back together it's um a traumatic way to get them back together and i think it also kind of is a slap in the face to like lgbtq relationships that have children in other ways right like and it's not to say like there are a lot of women you know lesbian relationships who do this where they you know one donates the egg and the other one carries and like that's great i think that's great but like there's other ways I mean, and they could have do- still done that without having A being the one who who does this to them. Like there's a, it is it is a rape baby that we are supposed to be okay with because it's getting our two favorite lesbians back together. And I hate that. Yeah, I hate it. And I hate, like, it also is just so icky the way that like Emily does a little bit pressure allison to keep the babies mm-hmm. like obviously she she's kind of like oh like it's your decision but like she definitely makes it clear that she would like her to keep the pregnancy and like in that situation like that's that's an awful thing for emily to do and seems mm-hmm. really out of character yes out of character but also if you go back and you think about her conservative upbringing like guaranteed her parents are like pro-life anti-abortion or at least and, were when she was younger i don't know that yeah. cam in the five years forward would be who knows yeah um but i think like it's deep in it's embedded in her like this idea of like well these are my babies and yeah. i think sorry just to get back to pam's view on abortion really quick i think that pam is the kind of person would be like i would never get an abortion that's not a choice i would make for myself but i support other people making the decision that they feel is right for them. And I think that that's also Emily's position. But yeah. the, the, and I think the what problem is the she's not the one here, pregnant here. Yeah. She's not the one pregnant here, but it is her eggs. And yeah. so I think like she does kind of overstep a little. And yeah, it's awful. It's just, it's yeah. all around horrific. And I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know why they thought that this would be 
a good thing to do. Yeah. All of the that only scenario, that. the only scenario in which I'm like, okay, fine, is if Allie had gotten an abortion. And then I could have been like, good for this show for showing that, you know, like yeah. for yeah, n- clearly not villainizing that decision. Yeah. So all of the disgusting nature of this aside, those babies are going to be gorgeous. <laughs> Stunning. <laughs> Emily and Ren. Beautiful those babies. Are be beautiful babies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so going back to getting getting off the right baby topic, yes, uh, and going back to the spiked flask and Emily's drinking, I, I know we said Hannah definitely has, I think, the most issues with alcohol, or is like mm-hmm. the biggest drinker at least of of the group. But yeah, Emily really goes through her her drinking phase. Yeah, uh, and it's interesting. Both- it's all about Maya. It's always about Maya. The dan- she gets drunk at the dance-a-thon. She like steals Emily's flask because Maya like blew she her off Hannah's flask. Yeah, sorry, Hannah's flask. <laughs> and then of course Maya's murder. She starts drinking heavily, but also is building houses in Haiti and is getting glowing recommendations. She's doing it better than anyone. She's the highest. She must. We didn't see her during that summer, but she must have been the highest functioning alcoholic that ever existed. Or maybe her drinking just kind of started after she got back because she was either gone the whole summer or three weeks. We can't, yeah, but we you, don't know. But you remember she makes, that's true. Maybe she came back and started drinking because she does make a comment when all the girls are together that when she's drinking, she's like, oh, I've gotten really good at this, which that's implies true. that she's been drinking all summer. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. Maybe she was gone. Maybe she was gone for the first three weeks of the summer and she's been back for a while drinking. Yeah, but they seemed to. It seemed to be they. They were all catching up, right? So like, it seemed to be like they were all kind of separated over the summer and didn't see much of each other. So that wouldn't make sense. I feel like if Emily was not gone, yeah. Well, that's why I'm confused because like, there's times where they talk about her building houses in Haiti, like it was a whole summer, but then at one point somebody very specifically says three weeks, and that's not. A long time. <laughs> Emily really milks that time she built houses with Haiti for three I mean, weeks. That's kind of, I think, the thing with like the whole like way that they talk about Habitat for Humanity in this show feels very voluntourism to me. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Whatever. You know. Again, we're not super clear. I'll do my research. We're not super clear on Habitat for Humanity as an organization in reality. As it's presented in this show, really white saviory, which yeah, and voluntarist. Like. Yes, yeah, and then she and and then it sounds like you know the whole thing with Allie's missing body kind of sobered her up, and she understandably didn't drink again, yeah. or at least not really like was, in an abusive way. Yeah, was um, Cece looking out for Emily? Was this actually like a scared straight program? <laughs> Yeah, she's like, Emily's going down a dark path. I need to nip this in the bud. <laughs> I like that perspective. <laughs> Traumatize this girl out of drinking. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that's perfect. Also, I just want, as a bit of an aside, Emily, bit of a surly drunk. Yeah. She becomes a bit combative when she's drunk. Yeah. But also, like, I think that, like, it's interesting to see her progression. She is quite combative at points. Yeah. 
and I don't know if we want to talk about it here or in my list of episodes, there's a, there's a couple things that maybe are about that, but anyways, I, I, is it the line that I'm thinking of? So I'll, I'll, I'll throw it in here. I'm thinking of when I, you know, combative Emily, I'm thinking of can you move Jenna, your stick? can you move your stick? Some, Some of people are trying to get past you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's uh, that, and then there's a couple others, but anyways, yeah. Maybe so, we can talk about that later. Yeah. Speaking of being combative, let's talk about uh, how, you know, Emily, you may have heard she killed a guy. Yes. So that's the main thing in her criminal record, uh, which isn't really a crime. She, the interesting thing is like Hannah kills someone and they cover it up. Aria kills someone and they cover it up. Emily kills someone. And we tell the cops. Yeah. It's pretty clearly self-defense. So yeah. Emily doesn't have to. Emily has the weight of like knowing that she killed someone, but she doesn't have the weight of like worrying that people are going to find out. And I think that that's that- interesting though. So I'm, I have two thoughts here. One is it's the way in which they tell the cops. I feel like they feel like they can do that because he is unrelated to the A of it all. Yeah, that's um, very true. And then I think because she doesn't have the weight of potential legal repercussions, she's able to grapple with the weight of killing someone in a way yeah. that we don't see Hannah or Arya grapple with. Um, maybe because there's kind of that like legal shadow hanging over them that they can't fully... I mean, like, I think Arya we grapples with it, but like, and it, I think it's like... A, I don't know. I guess yeah, Arya for Hannah, the moments. Yeah, Hannah for does. Hannah, once the initial shock wears off, she seems pretty unbothered by the fact that she <laughs> killed someone. Yeah. But but Arya, yeah. I You're think right, yeah. Arya does. Arya definitely does, but it's definitely, like, complicated, I think, by the fact that she is also keeping it a secret, right? And, like, there's a, there, I think, also sort of a... Arya doesn't get to have the sort of absolution that Emily does. Yeah. The being able to tell the truth about it, being able to talk to anybody about it that she wants to, um, having, you know, the sort of state sanctioned, yeah, you're good. You're fine. Mm-hmm. We deem this morally okay. And the fact that, you know, she's hiding it, I think doubles, sorry, not to get too much into Aria on Emily's episode. I think that that, that, compounds the guilt a little bit because it's like well if i truly felt guilty and bad about this wouldn't i come clean about it wouldn't i tell the truth yeah like i'm not making amends and that's i think why we see aria struggle so much you know sends money anonymously to to shauna's family like trying to make amends because shauna's funeral yeah yeah and whereas like we don't see emily i think trying to make amends in the same way even though both situations were clearly self-defense. And I think it's because Emily doesn't have to grapple with the added like guilt and confusion of not owning up to it, not telling the truth. She definitely struggles with it. Also, yeah. for anybody that's not the, you may have heard she killed a guy is when Emily goes to Dr. Sullivan to kind of talk to her about things. She, Dr. Sullivan kind of asked her like, so like, what, what brings you in? Like what, or what's been going on with you or something like that. And, Emily responds, you may have heard I killed a guy, <laughs> which is maybe the funniest way <laughs> to start. And then Dr. Session. Sullivan, I mean, listen, maybe we should talk about 
you know, Dr. Sullivan as a therapist and at a later episode, but then Dr. Sullivan is like, yeah, but that was self-defense. And I feel like a good therapist would be like, yeah, okay. Like, let's, let's talk about that because understandably there's something, even though it was self-defense, like there's, uh, there's something to talk about. There is a trauma there that is worthy of discussing your therapist (laughs) the fact that you're legally okay doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with any emotional repercussions exactly yeah um so emily killed nate saint germain slash lyndon johnson is his lyndon james thank you i always get confused because is a president (laughs) yeah yeah that's a president uh i always want to call him lyndon johnson (laughs) Would have been quite the choice from the writers to name him <laughs> Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. Uh, but she also maybe kind of kills Noel Khan. Yeah. It's like debatable, right? Like kind of Noel Khan, Noel Khan uh, is, falls on his own battle axe. He's <laughs> impaled by his own sword. Uh, but she does kind of, the, the, the sort of like grapple, the like, you know, altercation that happens yeah. is kind of between him and Emily, which causes him to fall on his own battle axe and be decapitated. And my again, favorite storyline. Yes, my favorite storyline. Emily's really closely connected to my favorite and least favorite storylines. Um, <laughs> and again, that is one that is they they tell the cops about entirely. Yeah. Um, one thing though that we don't have here that I think we can talk about is not to bring it back to my least favorite character shower harvey emily is the one who i think like punches her or something on the night that where it's like charlotte's big reveal and everything um yeah she is the one who like i think hits sarah shower and shower falls down and then like stands up and puts her hands on an electrocution box i don't know what that is but yes somehow something happens to her hands and she can no longer use them until she can use them um later on in the show but and i think like that i guess like potentially emily has like some fear there of like what shower is going to tell the cops because i think emily feels somewhat responsible which is insane she's not yeah, that whole thing was so insane. I think we here's the problem with that is that with the Jenna thing, these girls were in the wrong. These girls did a yeah. horrible thing, right? It, it was unintentional, sure, but like they were out to harm Jenna in some way with a stink bomb, they thought, but like still, and then they cover it up, right? Mm-hmm. But Shower Harvey. And like Jenna, or not Jenna, I guess they thought they were doing it to Toby, but like Toby, they hadn't really wronged them. They thought maybe he had been looking in their window, but like they didn't have proof of that. They didn't know, you know, Shower Harvey was actively hurting them. This was, and it just didn't resonate in the same way. And I think it's because the writers at that point were afraid to have the girls do something truly terrible Mm -hmm. that didn't feel justifiable. But I think that they should have had them do something bad. Like, I think that it should have been yeah, more cut and dry. Like, oh, this was wrong or malicious yeah. in some way or something. The whole Shower Harvey secret in the five years forward really fell flat. 
because it wasn't a thing it was not i don't what like and even just like having it be like her hands something about that just like didn't land yeah not that like your hands aren't important and whatever but it still like felt like she was able to use them but also like i'm very unclear of why what she could and couldn't do with her hands yeah like and it just it's not the same as blinding someone i feel like it's it's not it just doesn't have that same it doesn't feel like not to compare disabilities here but it just didn't feel as but i guess like like what is the alternative like they can't deafen her like that feels too similar to what they did to jenna maybe they could have like maybe they could have put shower harvey in like a coma yeah that would have been good and then they, maybe she's in a coma until she the shows up at Charlotte's funeral. Love that. Love that. Actually, that's ooh, the reveal. That's good. That's good. Well, I like that. I think better. I also think, like, I'm, again, so confused by what she couldn't and couldn't, could and couldn't do with her hands. Because we see her at Charlotte's funeral, and she's, like, being she escorted there because she can't, like, open doors or something. But then we see her later on opening doors and helping like being like a partner for jenna like helping jenna do whatever jenna was up to in the five years forward and also like we see her holding cups i'm pretty sure and like yeah using well she's her a hands. sour girl exactly she is a sour girl and <laughs> and like drinking her sour cocktails <laughs> and like yeah like i don't i don't understand what is actually wrong with her hands I don't either. I would would love to understand. I would love to ask Marlene, like, what was going on here? And I think also, like, maybe this could have worked. And I don't, I don't think that the actress could have pulled it off. But I think that this could have worked better if we'd gotten some, like, emotional speech from Shower Harvey about maybe, like, she's in, like, chronic excruciating pain or something. Right? Like, I could see that feeling more like justified for why they're so they feel so guilty about this right but again but, she couldn't have pulled that off she could have pulled yeah. off a coma though yeah she could yeah <laughs> she could have pulled off a coma but i don't think she could have pulled off like a heart-wrenching you know no about chronic about, pain no about chronic pain no and so it just didn't work i, I it didn't quite work yeah. um but so should we talk about our Emily episodes and any other yes. like last thoughts? So my first one for Emily is her coming out. Uh, that's nice. one eleven moments later. And just the acting that she does in that is really great. And I mean, I've talked about like, I, I think that the way that they handled her coming out story was really good. I'd like to see more of that. I think now in coming out, that we like coming out stories we see in like movies and television. I really liked it. Her acting was great. The emotion of it was really good. Yeah. What's yeah. yours? Um, so I'm gonna say 415 Love Shack Baby. So this is right after Grave New World when they're in Ravenswood. Um, and she now knows that Allie is alive and um is really hurt by how like Allie has been in hiding this whole time and has never tried to reach out really or confide in Emily. Emily's like, I think quite hurt by that and feels betrayed. And I think it's a really interesting episode. I don't know how recently you've watched it, but you can kind of see Emily start to come to terms with how Allie manipulated her 
Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's in a way that she was never fully able to do when Allie was dead or missing because of the like grief of that and feeling, you know, in the way that you're kind of when somebody's missing or dead, you kind of romanticize their life or like make them into a better person than maybe they were in reality. And I think now that she knows Allie is alive, she's kind of starting to realize that and like come to turn. I think that's a really important moment for her character development and her relationship with Allie is how she feels knowing that Allie was alive this whole time, knowing that Allie didn't ever try to reach out to her and um, how that, you know, reflects on how she was treated by her. Unfortunately, (laughs) in the very next episode, seems as if Emily's kind of forgiven her. Um, That's when we see Emily kind of like, she gets that like, let that note or something or whatever she's meeting up with. She's supposed to go meet up with Allie and visit Allie. And you kind of see her like primping in front of the mirror, trying to make sure she looks good to go see Allie. And so it's a short lived character growth moment, but I think it's important nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, Mine is actually really close to that. uh, Chronologically mine's Uh 417 bite your tongue. And that is when we get act normal bitch where oh, Emily yeah. is in the high school. She's like, they're working for, on something for Ezra. I don't know. But like, she's alone in the high school and like the lights start going crazy. Like metal music starts playing and the like signs are, like starts flashing, like act normal, bitch. Uh-huh. Uh, and I just, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have like a deeper reasoning for that one. Yeah. I just love that. I love because that. Because it's iconic. Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so my next one is after Paige, after Emily confides in Paige that Allie is alive, um, and then Paige ends up telling the cops and Emily finds out and like Paige basically like is giving Emily an ultimatum and is like, fine, I won't tell the cops if you don't see Allie. I guess these are actually quite right around the same, right around each other, I think. Yeah. Um, and... I think it's interesting because then, you know, Emily kind of is like, I don't like, she said like, I don't like being given ultimatums and they they break up. And I think I love what that shows about like Emily's character growth and she stands up for herself and she's like, I know that this is the right thing to do. So I'm not going to just like roll over and do what you want me to do, Paige, just because you want me to do it. Um, And I love that for her. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of great stuff around her, like, around Allie's return, mm-hmm. right? Like, finding out that she's alive, her return to school, like, all of that. I think there's a lot of great Emily stuff in there, because obviously Emily has a lot of feelings about that. My my next one is 318, Dead to Me, and this is where Emily... I have that, this too. Is where we, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is where we get, right, her... This is where we get, you may have heard, I killed a guy. She goes to talk to Dr. Sullivan and kind of talks about the... How she's been feeling since killing Nate and everything, and I think it just... You know, it's, again, great acting and, like... It's sort of the culmination, I think, of the sort of like breadcrumbs that we've been getting uh, with Emily and like how she's feeling about all of that. It's then followed by the hypnosis scene, which is not my favorite, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
No, I, I, I also had that one because, yeah, I think it's like a really important like character moment for her. And you kind of, I think, get a lot of insight into her psyche and how she feels at, and like is feeling this and struggling with this like feeling after having killed someone. I think that that just like shows a lot about who she is. And she, you know, like we were saying, she wants to be a hero and this is not a hero thing to do even though people are calling her a hero, you know, like she's, she's getting the accolades for being a hero because she saved her life and Paige's life and Caleb's life. But it doesn't, it's not really, it doesn't really feel like a hero moment for her. Yeah. I actually just realized one that I think I I should have included. And I don't know why I didn't think of this when I was picking my three Uh, through many dangerous toils and snares when Emily, when we think, you know, we're supposed to think that Emily's on the outs with the group and it's all like that, that ploy. I love that. I love that. These aren't highlights. This is glass in my hair, Hannah. Yes. And I just love like, it's the first really active work we see the girls do. Yeah. No, that's And I love that. And I love Emily's role in it. And I love that for her character and everything. Yeah. Um, And I have an honorable mention. So... (laughs) In 419, Shadow Play. So this is obviously the film noir episode that is very Spencer-centric. But I think that there's, like, a real, like, great theme, like, thing that happens here for Emily. I hope she's able to recognize it and, like, internalize it and feel more confident about it. But early on in the episode, Emily suggests that Ezra meant for them to find the diary, right? So they've, they've gotten Allie's diary they've lost it and then they find it in Ezra's desk and Hannah and Spencer both like brush her off right later that exact same episode I believe after Spencer has had her you know amphetamine induced hallucination of the 1940s 50s whatever um Spencer tells the girls Ezra meant for us to find this diary and Hannah and Emily are just like yeah uh (laughs) uh-huh I just love it like (laughs) Emily literally said that earlier. She was like, don't you think it's a little suspicious that we found this so easily? Like, maybe he wanted us to find this. And it's only, like, once Spencer, again, has this hallucination that Spencer's on board and Hannah's on board. Yeah. So justice for Emily in that moment. Yeah. I also, a standing honorable mention for me, of course, is the episode, I think the first two episodes after the dollhouse, Emily has her, Mm -hmm. her big moment, the, where, uh, she like, you know, her mom catches her at the firing range and she just kind of breaks down and Mm -hmm. starts and finally talks to her mom and again, acting incredible, like, and also just like all of her, the char- the choices for the character in terms of like how she deals with that trauma all makes so much sense. And mm-hmm. I won't get into it. We're going to talk about those episodes, so I won't get into it too much. But yeah. just reminding mm-hmm. everyone that is my standing honorable mention. So if anyone's like, oh, why didn't a- any of them pick that episode? It's because we want to talk about that episode. Yeah. Um, and then I have like a few just like random like last minute thoughts about Emily that yeah I couldn't really find a good place to fit in I think one is the way she talks about Jenna and talks to Jenna I think Mm. feels very out of character for her unless if you don't consider 
kind of how Emily has taken on Allison's vendetta. Like, and I think that that's what has happened here because like the way in which Emily is very like kind of cold and there's the whole, I think you know the line better than I do, but it's, can you move your stick? Some of us are trying to get by or something like that. Can you move your stick? There are people trying to get past you. I like the phrasing of trying to get past you because Mm -hmm. the sort of like metaphorical resonance of like, I'm trying to move on from us blinding you. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of my way. And then (laughs) stop reminding me. There's another moment in season four, episode one, where Jenna's afraid, right? Jenna Wilden's dead. Everybody that saw Allie the night that she died is coming up, is turning up dead. And Jenna's afraid, right? So Jenna comes up to uh, Emily's house and she says, if anything happens to me, can you give Toby a message? Like, clearly this this girl is afraid, right? She's She's not coming up to Emily in any sort of antagonistic way. She's coming up fearful. And Emily says, what would happen to you? Seems like you're indestructible. Like, and I just Which is think it's such a thing for the person that blinded you to say. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, and this is, you know, after Jenna's been like nearly ex- exploded in the De Laurentiis house. And like, so much has happened to Jenna. And she's just like persevered and made it through. But I think it's a, such an interesting element of Emily's character that like you wouldn't expect Emily to be that kind of antagonistic or rude to anyone, especially not to the girl that she blinded, right? We know how Emily deals with guilt, but uh, she's taken on, I think, Allison's um, vendetta and hatred of Jenna and mistrust of Jenna and all the girls have in a way. But I think there's like a a, a real like way that Emily's done it that feels again i saying i don't think it's out of character in a bad way saying that like this doesn't make sense for emily to do because i think it does make sense but it doesn't make sense if you look at how emily is with everyone else well and i think it's also like you know for for the being the one that has such a you know sense of guilt about things mm-hmm. i think it kind of it does kind of make sense that like this thing that I think if she were to allow herself to feel what she would feel is like the appropriate amount of guilt for what she did, it would destroy her. Right. And so instead she shields herself by treating Jenna as solely as the enemy, because Mm -hmm. that, that then makes their actions, you know, less egregious. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have one other kind of just like, moment that I love because I think it shows Emily like standing up for herself and her for, for her friends in a like great way is after they learn about Ezra's book he's gone I think for a little bit and then he comes back for like to teach for like one episode or something and she's not going to stay in class but she goes up to him and hands in her paper and she goes, will you make sure a real teacher gets this? And I just love the way she says it to him. I love the look on his face. I just love it all around. And I love yes. when, okay. I love when Emily stands up for her and her friends. Like, cause I think she does it with so much like vigor and like um, again that loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. It's so strong. And she really like, and she has so many good like one-liners like she can really take someone down with a sentence and i love it 
And maybe that also is part of her treatment of Jenna, right? Is like a sense of like feeling protective of her friends. Yeah. Because they all view Jenna as a threat. So it's not just about her. It's about the fact that she is a threat to her friends. Yeah. Yeah. And it it kind of makes me think of that scene from the blind side where (laughs) Sandra Sandra Bullock is like teaching the coach how to like, uh, help her son like be a better football player and it's like he scored in like the 99th percentile on, on protectiveness <laughs> and so that's Is that like, a percentile how... where did he score that i don't understand yeah, I know. some test i guess what test? <laughs> unclear emily really is the michael or of the group yeah <laughs> that's his name right yeah um that's emily yeah that is that is Emily Fields. Leave us a review. Send any questions, uh, thoughts that you've got to the email in the episode description. Cheerio, sister. Cheerio, sister. Cause I don't know.